Hey there, speed freaks and flash aficionados. It's time for another issue of Grodcast. Issue 3. Gonna get really corny and give it a corny title, but I'm calling it Zoom, Zoom, Zoom. There's been a lot of this guy in The Flash this season as the main antagonist. So, I think what I'm gonna do today is I'm gonna give you guys a little bit of an education in Zoom. Flash fact about Zoom. Zoom is not the first Zoom. Technically, Professor Zoom, Reverse Flash, is the first Zoom. So, the Zoom that they are referring to is a name of Hunter Zolomon. He was the second Zoom. And he's got an interesting backstory. All right, so the deal with this dude was he was a cop. He was a good cop. He was pretty good on the force. And all of a sudden, boom, Gorilla Grodd shows up, knocks his back out of whack. Dude's paralyzed from the waist down. He's in a wheelchair. It's a pretty quick way to explain it, but that's basically the gist of it. And he went to do anything he could to be able to walk again. And then eventually he got mixed up with the cosmic treadmill and his ability then formed. All right, so here's what Zoom's ability is. And get ready, it's kind of cool. It's a little different than the other ways. So the deal with this particular Zoom is he doesn't just move fast. No, it's far more more than that. Muir. <laughs> it's far more than that. He is able to exist in every universe, in every timeline, at every moment of every time ever. That's the deal. That's why he moves so fast. He actually exists all the time, every time. And it's an interesting concept. I know it's a weird way to explain it away, to explain speed, but at the same time, it's something they've never done before. It's something that they took an idea and were like, all right, let's kind of tweak it and give it this twist, which I think speaks multitudes about their willingness to try new things and go new places and do new things back then. Back then being, I guess, not even that long ago, honestly, but not recently in comics. And as we all know, comic books moves real fast now. Like, stories, storylines, characters, they change pretty quickly. And kind of regularly, which is cool because the real logic there is you got to try and attract your fan base. Now, I know that there are a lot of the old guys stamping their feet curmudgeonly saying, That's not right! But, I mean, listen, guys, I have to accept it, too. It's we're it's We're not the only market. Like, our age demo is one market and we have to just accept the fact that there is more than one demo market and to appeal to a new fan base you got to skew younger you got to do new things you got to try something different and so you just have to accept that they needed to come up with a lot of different ways to present new characters now i know a lot of people that had issues with zoom 2 hunters allman but again the same logic was it was just something they wanted to try and do and we've seen repeats of characters before i mean we've accepted three different versions of superman or not accepted three different versions of superman whatever you want to call it but i mean the characters change and although the name might stay the same sometimes the characters change and and it and it could be good and it could be bad I happen to think that Zoom 2 is really neat, the fact that he does that. And here's the real twist to him. He kind of follows the same archetype as Venom. He's not so much a villain. He's more the anti-hero. He is against this particular character. He is against the Flash. Zoom in the comic book universe, Zoom 2, Hunter's Allman is anti-Flash. And his whole concept is, I'm going to make you better. I'm going to make you faster. I'm going to make you stronger. You're going to be able to make harder decisions. I need to make you better to make sure what happened to me not happened to everyone else out there. And so that was his mission. That was his whole reasoning and logic in his supervillainy was to make the Flash better. 
And so he did some pretty crazy things in the series. In fact, one of the things that I remember, I think it was issue 199, that ballpark area, 199-200, where Zoom was fighting Wally West. Wally West being the Flash at that time in comic books. Um, and so was fighting Wally West, and Zoom raced to Iris West, snapped his fingers, caused a sonic boom, and caused her to miscarry. Now, I know a lot of you are like, wait a minute, we've got Jay and Iris West, like, they exist as characters. Well, they do now, but they died for a minute there. And I think it was an issue 200, they retconned it right away, but, like, there was an instant where this guy was able to snap his fingers, cause the Flash's wife to miscarry. That's crazy to me. I thought that was such impressive writing. It was something that I'd never even heard of in comics before. And another way of saying, like, again, tweaking powers, the way we've kind of developed how powers are interpreted. And I guess that's kind of one of the things I want to talk about today, is the interpretation of powers. How Superman went from able to leap tall buildings to flying. And how many other characters have taken turns as the years go on, and their powers have been tweaked or adjusted. And so, like I said, I guess the first one I want to talk about then is the Superman thing. Able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. The dude just used to jump tall. He now flies. And it's just, okay, the, de- the explanation is the yellow sun modified his powers over time, made it stronger, he's able to fly. I get it, that's fine. But you can't deny the fact that characters change. And not only that, but the way we interpret powers change. And I think over time, you've got some great writers interpreting people's power sets and abilities and really brought them to the next level. And being broadcast, we're going to talk about the power adjustment of the Flash. So the Flash's power adjustment has, has taken such leaps and bounds. And... You got a guy that ran fast. Well, you got, got a guy that ran fast and like, wait, maybe he can run so fast he runs through water, over water. Maybe he runs so fast that he can look like he's a blurred image of himself and he can run on walls. And maybe a step further than that, and the best part about it is maybe he can move so fast or vibrate his molecules so fast that they adjust their frequency, can, frequency and he can travel between worlds. And that was awesome. And the way you saw that was Flash 123, where Flash of Two Worlds, quite a coveted book at this point in collecting. And so the whole thing there is Flash was able to vibrate his particles to a frequency that matched Earth 2 and met Jay Garrick. And that opened up a wormhole of opportunity also. With that single situation, with that single act, it changed the way we looked at comic books because that's how we were able to get our Supermans back and our Batmans back and our Hippolytas instead of uh, Dianas for Wonder Woman back. This is how they reintroduced a lot of their old content and were able to pull it further into the future. And we'll be back after this commercial break. The Zoom that we are seeing right now is actually referred to as Zoom 2, Hunter Zolomon Zoom. Now, I don't know if that's the name they're going to use. I've had somebody tell me speculation, and it's an interesting theory about who it might be. But the Hunter Zolomon Zoom from the comic books is the one that I know the best. And he's got a really cool backstory. Hunter Zolomon in the comic books was a police officer and through unfortunate tragedy in an incident involving this week's flash villain again who we'll talk about later our namesake who got in an accident involving gorilla grod and was paralyzed from the waist down after that happened he became obsessed with being able to fix it 
eventually he was able to get in contact with the cosmic treadmill and as many times over as tragedy ensues in comic books, things didn't work out for Mr. Zolomon the way he had hoped. What he ended up getting was a persona, much like one of our other Flash villains or many of our speedsters. He had extreme speed, but something a little bit different about his speed. And I'm going to talk about that now, and we'll go back to it later. But right now, I want to just address what they established his ability was in the books. Now, Zoom's power appeared as though he had extreme amounts of speed. The man never really tapped into the speed force. What they explain as his power being able to do is, and get ready guys, because this is kind of an interesting concept, it's not so much his speed as much as Hunter Zolomon as Zoom exists in every timeline, in every second, in every moment. So as I'm talking, there's technically all Hunter Zolomons existing all at the same time simultaneously. That's across the multiverse, and that's across time. And a power like that, you can have a lot of fun with. But the way Zolomon decided to use it was as follows. And this is a particularly interesting type of villain that I seemed to enjoy as a kid. And it wasn't so much a villain as much as he was an anti-hero. Welcome back to Grodcast. Before the break, we were talking about some of the interesting modifications on superhero abilities. And that really is a matter of interpretation from the writer. I mean, the big thing is you get a writer, you get the right writer on the right book, someone who can empathize with the character, relate to them in some way. You really are able to see these very impressive story interpretations. Um, some There are some people, obviously, who, who transcend that. I know there are a lot of people that talk about Alan Moore's writing on Animal Man and, you know, the interpretation of his abilities in Swamp Thing or Grant Morrison's run on... Um, Wow, what am I drawing a blank on? Graham Morrison stuff, Batman, there we go. And just the interpretation of what he can do and what he writes. And so you see a lot of interesting power shifts on superheroes and supervillains, like we said, like Zoom, where you had Zoom 2 and his writers were like, oh, let's try and take his power set and give it a different character and do it this way. And you saw Zoom existing in every timeline and every continuity and every universe all simultaneously. It's pretty neat. And then you had Superman, who was able to leap tall buildings in a single bound, and then all of a sudden he could fly. So we've, we've known these shifts in powers and adjustments, and that really kind of reflects the writers and what they're willing to take a look at. And it's an interesting thought because the writers originally who started writing books didn't have the advantage that the writers of now have. And what I mean by that is, when they were there, it was just, those were the guys that created the books. You had the creators of Batman, uh, Bob Kane, and now recently, I know that we had um, an addition to that. And I'm about to get really weird into some of the stuff, but Bill Finger getting credit now with creation of Batman. These guys were the originators of these characters. They gave us the foundation of what we needed. Their job was done. They gave us what inspired generations of writers and artists to continue that tradition of these characters and prolong their legacy with new ideas. And so we weren't able to see a Flash with super abilities to phase through matter and time a la 123 issue of Flash or, you know, Superman being able to fly or 
other characters reasoning for the impurity in the Green Lantern ring ending up being an entity referred to as Parallax, which is another thing that developed over time. So you had these writers who originally created these characters. And they took them in a very neat direction because they started everything. And from that, you had what were essentially fanboys. I mean, the writers and artists are fanboys. They loved, I'm hoping they loved comics. I'm I'm assuming they did. I'm pretty sure all of them did, in fact. Uh, Just enjoy comics and art growing up and those experiences and building on that. They're like, all right, I don't have to come up with the character. I have the option of tweaking what I can perceive him as or her being and making this character new and different. And most recently, you even saw the addition of a new power in Superman that's an interesting concept as well, which ties into something I really want to talk about, an idea, and the thing about his supercell power, where he essentially absorbs so much of the sun's energy that he has this ability to go much stronger and absorb the energy and be able to use it. And we recently saw it manifest again in Dark Side War, where you saw him change everything about his powers by absorbing the sun power, and he was able to manifest these new abilities. And what that ties into is something I wanted to, to even press upon is just like, you know, getting creative, getting, thinking of ideas, tossing around, you know, things that could potentially be. I was actually just recently talking to a friend and I'd asked the question, was there ever a story about Superman or a history of Krypton that reflected on the fact that there was a time where the sun on Krypton wasn't old and red. It was new and yellow, much like ours. A la the reference in Man of Steel, where they refer to our sun as young and new, and Krypton is losing their sun. And there, I don't know if they've necessarily covered it in that way, but just like the idea of taking a concept and stretching it further. And so, you know, what would it be like? What would Krypton be like if it had a yellow sun? What would it be like? What were the creatures that lived there like? What were the precursors to all the people that lived on Krypton and all the other species that existed there, you know, what would that look like or what would that have been? And maybe there were things in the past that existed and it opens up a whole new doorway. But my point being is that from, from the seeds that got planted by these original creators, these foundations of our industry that we love so much, are come a whole slew of ideas because we didn't have to come up with the bones. They built the bones. We're putting the we're putting the skin on, so to speak. You know, they they built everything, and and we got so much out of them. And and a lot of it stems from what the times were and the need of these ideas. And the best example that I always like to look at is the transition of Spider-Man. And we're going really flashing over to another subject again, but we're heading and now talking about like the manifestation of powers and superheroes from origin back in the original origins to modern day origins in movies, TV, and and, and the like. And so my, the best example is like with, with Spider-Man. You had a character that was bit by a radioactive spider. Radiation and the fear of radioactivity was very big in those days. It was also very new because you know, after World War II, we had all this nuclear waste from all these bombs that we wanted to drop because we wanted to build the best mousetrap. And in doing so, we made these bombs and the byproduct was all this waste. 
And so you had all this concern about radiation and radioactivity and, you know, oh my goodness, this is what it all was about. And that's where the character's creation came from. Gamma radiation for the Fantastic Four. Um, even, you know, the mutations, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the 80s. Those were all based on the fear of, like, these are these products that come out in this time. And you saw the example of Spider-Man I used because that shifted. Flash forward to the movies and a lot of it was, like, these genetically engineered DNA splice spiders. And then in the more recent run of Spider-Man, it was genetically altered to have very specific pre-genetic cursors and markers that created the perfect spider in theory. And so, you know, the history of books reflects the history of the times. And so you got a lot of these great characters out of these time periods because that's what they needed and that's what they wanted. And I know the story of Superman is, if I'm not mistaken, you know, the you know, dad owned a shop and robbers came in, killed dad. And wouldn't it, and, and out of that tragedy was, wouldn't it be great if there was a hero that was strong enough to stop all that? And so you saw from the, the trials and issues of the time, superheroes coming to be and, and be who they are. And starting at one point because they had one idea and taking it and extending it and kind of moving it along into the continuity and make it in a way that reaches out to the more modern market, which is what we were talking about earlier also how you know people like oh this isn't my superman this isn't my batman this ain't my comic-con this is you know this is all different and you know what yeah but times are different and that's kind of you see that in a lot of things people complain about kids pants or the music that's on or just things that aren't the same as what we knew and so the times change and in doing so characters need to change and adapt and so over time i think a lot of the character changes and adaptations that we see come about as what represents in society and what the times are and so even the adjustment of powers and even in the flash 123 was really around the time where science was big if i'm not mistaken that was in the 50s and 60s and a lot of space exploration there was a lot of fantasy into space and traveling to other planets and the precursor to star trek because that didn't happen until the 70s were shows like lost in space and you know, things that involved outer space and exploring. And so even at that time, Flash 123 introduced the concept of what would happen if we were able to manipulate particles and travel to another space and time. And that was really representative of the time. And out of that bred this great creation of the multiverse and the tradition of, well, these characters existed here and these characters existed here. So that way, you know, the comic book industry found ways to appease both old and new fans. And they did very well with that. And they continue to do that to this day with, you know, Countdown to 52 and Crisis and Infinite Crisis and Final Crisis and a lot of crises going on in D.C. The biggest crisis was moving from New York to California, but it is what it is. And so just all these changes and they happen so fast now because things need to change faster. And you see all these characters adjust to the times and meet the needs of society and the people that will be getting into reading now. And so these characters have to change. It's necessary. The adjustment in these characters is necessary and important and vital to the thriving industry. And this is something I've said many times over. And actually, I was recently out with a family member and we were talking about comic books. And he says, well, don't you get mad about this and don't you get upset about that? And well, realistically, you know, it's, you know, would I want it to be the way I remember? Yeah, but also I know that from that we get the opportunity for more. And so like the Big Bang Theory existing as a TV show gives us more. 
gets it more mainstream. It gets more attention to the things that I like. And as long as the things that I like thrive and exist longer and can proliferate and expand in the way that they have, I'm pretty okay with almost anything because that means in all that stuff, there's always going to be the gems that I stick to and I know that'll be good. So I'm okay with things moving and changing in comic books because I know that I'll somewhere in there get what I want and get what I need out of books. And But creating this, this appeal to everyone, getting more mainstream, getting more attention. Comic-Con is not what it once was. And I said that in an earlier podcast, you know, and if you want to take a look at that one about my feelings about Comic-Cons, please check it out. And so you just, they change over time because of what happens in society. And right now, pop culture is comic books, science fiction. It was all the stuff. And if you look at it, it was all the stuff that that prior generation grew up with. And that even, and that speaks to a broader continuum of things even getting beyond comic books and TV is what we watch on TV is a lot driven by the people who make decisions in those medias. And a lot of those guys are people like me who, at this point, me who grew up loving comic books. You got great writers like Kevin Smith out of people that read comic books. And, you know, you have all these other executives, the show, the Goldbergs with Adam Goldberg. And it's basically a tribute. It's a love letter to the eighties. You know, it's a lot like the wonder years was for their time period is the Goldbergs for ours. And so a lot of these shows, that's the kind of stuff that we love. That's just the kind of stuff that we love watching. And, you know, I remember watching, I love the seventies, eighties and nineties and thinking how much fun that was. And that's something about my generation. We thrive on nostalgia. We thrive on the things that we grew up with because they were things that we can relate to and we appreciate it. And now that we are the people who make decisions just as time goes on, so do the days of our lives. And we all move on and, you know, the people that make decisions now in industry are a lot closer to my ideas and thoughts and feelings because they were the same people that grew up in a decade where we love nostalgia. We love the stuff that we used to do as kids. We love things that we used to see growing up. And so now that's really the focus for a while. And I think you're going to see this trend continue for a very long time because as long as the people ahead of things or making these choices are motivated by the same stuff. That's what we're going to see more of. And so I'm at a time right now where I'm super excited by all the things going on. And yeah, some things I don't necessarily need to have or some things I take with a grain of salt and some things I'm just kind of have to accept because at the end of the day, it means that I get more of what I love in the long run. I get more of my stuff. It's an industry that will survive, thrive, exist because so many more people want in on it. And so in order to do so, you got to change the times. You got to change your Spider-Man from a radioactive spider to a genetically modified spider. You know, you got to make characters like Superman leap, then fly. You got to make Flash travel through time. You gotta let your characters grow. You need to let your Zoom go from Professor Zoom with tapped in reverse speed force powers to a guy that exists everywhere at all times. And that is why a character like Zoom is so great in this day and age. He is such an interesting, fascinating facet of Flash history and lore. And it's such a great piece to see in the TV show now. And it's so well done. And the character is so interesting. And now I have multiple theories. Spoiler alerts, everybody. Please feel free to turn off the podcast or skip it for the next 30 seconds or so while I give my theory. So the first theory is possibly it's Earth 2 Barry Allen's father. 
Or the other theory is it's Earth 2 Barry. Those are my two theories, and that's the end of the spoiler. Spoiler ended. You can now resume listening. So now that we've talked about that, you get to a point where we get some really cool characters and some really interesting stories. I think that's all the time I've got for Grodcast today, everybody. So next week I'm going to have a lot to say about the most recent issue Uh, The recent episode of The Flash on TV, because more Grodd. And you know, One Nation Under Grodd, it's all good. Anyway, for this issue of Grodcast, this is Ben Toper saying, Good night and Grodd help us all.